Today's date is July 17th, 2016. The title of today's message is Behold. Behold. I'm going to use the board some, but uh, probably sparingly, but I'm going to use it some today. If you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verse 6 is where we're going to start. It's tradition in our church that uh, when we turn to a passage, that as you get to the passage in your Bible, we will have it on the screens for you, but as you get to the passage in your Bible, you say, there. And it not only indicates that you are there and you found the correct passage in, your, in the Word of God that's on your lap there, but it means that your heart is ready uh, to receive from what the Lord's doing. So 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, if you'll say there when you're there. there. Take a look at what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> what a great place to start from. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I've had, a, I had a, actually a lot of discussions this week uh, with family members uh, there in Louisiana. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I go back home to family, it's usually not particularly restful, uh, at least not for us. It stays very busy. There's a lot of ministry that goes on. There's a lot of scriptures that are pulled out, a lot of encouragement for folks to be uh, blessed in the word of the Lord. But this is one of the passages that kind of kept coming up throughout the week. And so I wanted to start here with you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. See, you just thought that was your dad that used to say that to you, right? I think my dad said, I brought you into the world and I'll take you out or something like that. But verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, everybody say food and clothing. We'll be content with that. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't mention your transportation. Doesn't mention the home, the abode in which you dwell in. It says, hey, look, if we have food and clothing, if we have our basic needs met, just the basic ones, then we're going to be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Isn't that interesting? They've pierced themselves. That was a popular thing back when I was in high school. People started getting piercings in a lot of different various and sundry places. That was a, a cultural thing that was happening. Not just in the ears, but in the nose and the cheeks and all, tongue ring. First person I ever saw with a tongue ring, I was in college, and she was a, a choir major. She was a vocal major in college. And I was like, how do you do that and sing? She's like, it's, she, she was choosing to make it very difficult on herself. Verse 11, but you, man of God, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. Well, flee from what? Flee from all the things that we just talked about, a discontentment. I think the biggest thing that I talked to people about this week in my family and as we were doing was this one topic of discontentment. Let me ask you this. Are you content with what the Lord is doing in your life? Do you have godliness along with contentment? Because that will be great gain for you. Here's the way the world does it. They start off trying to gain as much as they can, thinking that it will cause contentment and maybe one day that that can get to godliness. It's completely the opposite of the way the Word says. You start with godliness. We'll seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And then what happens? All the contentment can come along after that. All the gain can come along after that. So verse 11, But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Flee from worrying about anything other than what you have to eat and what you have to wear. Of course, I guess I have to be careful of that because you can get very involved in what we have to wear, right? It says, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Run after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Everybody say fight. fight. Everybody say you got to fight. If you've been here very long, you know that these words are, uh, in the Greek, are words that mean the same thing as agonize. Agonize the good agony. In other words, you're going to have to struggle to do what God wants you to do. You're going to have to get in there and just say, I'm not going to quit. I feel like I want to quit. I'm tired. I was talking with someone, and I can't remember at the moment, and they said that um, the Navy SEALs, one of the best trained groups of warriors in the world, one of, right? 
They say that there's a 40% rule. I can't remember who this was. Pastor Matt, was it with you that I was talking about? A 40% rule. And here's the rule. They say that most of us want to quit when we've reached 40% of our actual effort. We're ready to stop. Man, this is too hard. I can't go a step further. You're now at 40%. Welcome. So what they learn to do and what they train to do is to say, it doesn't matter that you're at 40. We know you're only at 40, so we're going to totally ignore the fact that you feel exhausted. Keep going. Keep training. Keep doing what we told you to do. Don't stop. Let me encourage you today. If you feel like that you are exhausted and you're done, you may only be at 40% of what... Now, you can look at that and be very discouraged, right? Man, I am wiped out and I'm only at 40%. Or you can say, I need to learn not to trust my feelings. I need to be content with what God is telling me. If He's telling me to keep going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep going. I don't even know how. You don't need to know how. Just keep waking up. Keep doing exactly what He called you to do. But I'm not seeing any fruit. Keep waking up. Keep doing exactly what He's calling you to do. But, but But I don't see the fruit that I want to see. You're at 40%. Keep waking up. Keep doing what, exactly what God called you to do. Because you know what it does? That puts you in verse 11. It says, but you, man of God. You, woman of God. Uh, sometimes we do this as a greeting around here. I'll do that with somebody. I'll see Gabriel Arias and I'll go, what's up, man of God? You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to say, hey, my brother may be only, he may be discouraged. He's only at 40%. He's going to do exactly what God calls him to do. He has got a beautiful wife and family. They're going to accomplish everything that God calls for them to do. You know why? Because he's a man of God. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to flee from all the other things and he's going to pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And he's going to fight the good fight. How about you? You want to do that with me? This is the kind of people that we have to be. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Hey guys, um, here, here's the list of topics that we've covered in the last week in our church. We cover a lot of topics in our church. So last, uh, well let's go maybe just a little bit more than a week. JJ taught on destiny at our Discipleship Helps class. Last Sunday we learned about swords and shovels. How to fight for our families. How to fight for the call of God on our life. Monday night, for foundation, we went over about 50 or 60 scriptures about finding the will of God for our lives. Wednesday night, Justin Treister had an amazing word on clouds and fire. Friday night, Pastor Matt taught on the principles of leadership. And today, we're going to talk on behold. You know, really what we're doing is we're having a little bit of a series for you. It's about finding and walking in the will of God. We didn't do this ahead of time and say the next week we're going to talk on finding the will of God. What we're doing is we're we're hearing what we need as a group of people and we're saying, you need to do the will of God. I need to do the will of God. So let's just presume that we both want to do the will of God just for a moment. How do we do that? What does it look like? How do I keep going forward and doing what God has me to do when I'm not always exactly sure what that is? Well, if one of the things that we do is we find contentment in our, God, in our God, godliness with contentment is great game. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. I actually love this passage. Just a few verses. Won't take us long. I love being your pastor because there are these little things that, that I can look out and I can see. and I, it, it, uh, I have affectionate thoughts towards each of you, right? I, I turn to 1 Samuel 22, and I think of Judah and how much, at least up till now, I know he's, he's got a, a much larger repertoire than this, but how much he loves the book of Samuel. I'm like, oh, I love that about Judah. If he's going to come forward, if you just pull it out of him, if, if, he, if, he's, if he's exhausted, you know what's going to come out of him? Something powerful from the Word, and it very well may be from Samuel. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> it's there, right? 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. Say there when you're there. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, 
When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. You know you're a leader in the kingdom when people come find you wherever you are. You don't have to try to promote yourself to be a leader in the kingdom. You just see who comes and follows. And you pay attention and you take care of those who come to you. Amen? little side note, that was for somebody. Verse 2, all of those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. I call this the three D's of leadership, right? All of those who were in distress. Everybody say distress. distress. Or in debt. Everybody say debt. debt. Or discontented. Everybody say discontented. discontented. Wow, what a great group of men that David is leading here, right? These stellar examples. All those who were in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. And there was about 400 men with him. So there's 400 people that are gathered around David. And you know what? They're all rejects. Which gives me encouragement because I feel like a reject sometimes. I don't know that I would have picked me, but apparently God picks those that no one else wants. And you know what happens? Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. It would be discouraging if these men who were in distress, in debt, and discontented, if they stayed that way. They didn't understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. But these men kind of figured some things out. You know what happens? I'm not even going to read it specifically. But in 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8, you know what you start to see? Some of these same men who were around him this whole time, who were in distress, and they were in debt, and they were discontented, you know what they became? These are the names of David's mighty men. The same ones who started out as rejects, you know what? They became beyond the select. These, you can read these great exploits, right? Josheb Bashabeth, a Takanamite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. That's just one dude. 800 men. Have you? <laughs> That's a lot of people. 800. And they all want to kill him. And he raises his hand with a spear. And through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Lord, he takes care of his enemies by himself. Doesn't sound like someone who's in distress or in debt or discontented any longer. You may be one of those three D's today. You may be in one of those places where you're just in distress. I don't know what I do. Maybe you're in debt. Maybe you're discontented with what the Lord is doing in you. If you would just stick it out, if you would just get up every day and do exactly what He's told you to do. By the way, sometimes we're looking for God to tell us something new and fresh. You know why? Because we're discontented with what He's already told us. We don't like what He's already told us. Well, I don't like, maybe I don't like the fact that God wants me to be a pastor here at Life Changing Ministries. That's not the truth because I love it. Maybe, maybe I have something down in my heart where I think I should be in a bigger church with more people to talk to. You know what that causes me to do? It causes me to be discontent with what He's doing now. Are you unhappy with the Lord? Not what you would say. No, none of us want to say that, right? None of us would want to describe ourselves as in distress, in debt, or discontented. That's not where we want to be. But are you actually upset that the Lord is calling you to do something and it's just hard? He sees what you're about and he says, you're at 40%. Don't worry. I got this. I'm at the end of my rope. No, you're at 40%. It's really okay. Let's just, let's just keep going here, people. I want to encourage you. Let's keep going, people. Let's not be discouraged at what God is doing in us. Let's not be discontented with where he has you now. Are you not far enough along yet? Don't be discontented. You know why? Because godliness with contentment is great gain. You just keep pushing forward. You keep pursuing righteousness and holiness and honoring Him. And you know what He does? He, gives, he brings the great gain. You can't seek after the gain and expect to eventually get to godliness. Amen? Amen. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. I think far too many people are discontent with what God has actually called them to do. 
I've, I've shared this with you before, but we have so many guests here today that I, I want to share this antidote again with you. I think that that's why God brought my family to the Austin, Texas area. I was a high school principal. Went to Austin, Texas to work at a large church there. And I actually think one of the many reasons, I think God had a lot of reasons for doing things in our lives, but in my life, the one reason that I went, one of the reasons that I went to Austin was for him to see if I was going to be content with what he gave me or not. I've had the privilege of speaking in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. You know what I learned? That doesn't give me contentment. Because how many is enough? If you're, if you're going to worry about how many people are in front of you, well, how many is enough? Well, how many times do you get to speak to them? Well, did people respond to you well? God went, are you just going to be happy with what I'm making you to be? And I had to struggle with that until I could answer him and say, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go, I will be content in you. I'm not looking for more. I'm not looking for more money. I'm not looking for more vehicles. I'm not looking for a different house. I'm not, I am content with what God has me to do. If you're not content, then today is a day where you can change your heart and, and cause a contentment to settle in, to match your godliness, and then you will find the great game that He has for you. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one. Not even ourselves. Though we once regarded Christ in this way. Wow. <laughs> we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All of this is from God. Everybody say, from God. From Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What has Christ given you? Do you understand that as a believer, He has given you the ministry of reconciliation? He's given you a ministry. What is reconciliation? When you reconcile with someone, if you've had a rift in a relationship, and you do what? You were once enemies, and now you're friends. We were once enemies of God. Is that correct? In our sinful nature, we are, an, we are in opposition to who God is. We were once enemies. And you know what He does? He takes those who are enemies, He takes those things that are dead, and He makes them alive. Did you hear that all morning this morning during our worship time? I heard it distinctly four times in what we were doing. Through verses that were read. Through encouragement. Through song. God is saying, I'm the guy that makes <laughs> your dead dreams, your dead hopes... Your dead aspirations in Him, your, whatever it is that you think is dead, He transforms that by His own resurrection power and He can make those things alive. Amen. Your desire to be actually a person of ministry. Your desire to do something great for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not even for your own merit, but for His. He can take those dead things and make them alive. I felt like I was called to ministry when I was 16 years old at a youth camp in South Dallas, in the hood, in South Dallas. What? You know. Do you know how long it was before I became a full-time pastor? 19 years after that. <laughs> Say what? Can I tell you how many times I thought that thing was just dead and I heard wrong from the Lord? I guess, Lord, I, Lord, I guess that was silly of me. I and all along the way, I had enough people that were telling me, hey, you're not worthy of being a minister. Oh, amen. Thank you for that, brother. <laughs> Gift of encouragement that we have. <laughs> you know. Thanks. You know what that was? That's the enemy trying to make you feel like what God has spoken to you is false and that your dream is dead. God is the God who takes dead things and makes them alive. Amen. He takes the enemies and makes them friends. They can't stay the way they are. He doesn't just accept us. He transforms us. Amen. So that when we do, we become like Him. Our DNA changes. So He gives us what He's done for us is He has reconciled us. And so what He does is He say, what I've done in you, I now want you to do for other people. 
Don't you just love some of the experts who are around? Experts in our, in our society, right? Experts. What does that mean? Have you ever done it? That's what, I want, that's what I want to know, first of all. Don't write a book on how to do something if you haven't actually done it. I love you, and you, I'm sure you're much more intelligent than I am, but don't give me a parenting book if you don't have any kids. Just don't do that. You might even be right. I'm not even saying that. I just have a hard time listening to it. <laughs> don't tell me all the right ways to plan a church if you haven't planted a church. Don't tell me all the right ways to do it if you haven't actually done it. So what the Lord does is He's, he's, he's very wise. He says, I'm going to let you experience this. I'm going to let you feel what this feels like. I'm going to let you walk in my reconciliation. The fact that I came and found you. You didn't run after me. I came and found you while we were yet sinners. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, While we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. He came and found us in our place of death and He breathed new life into us. He took us by the hand and He stood us up and He said, Stand up because now you're alive. He gave us that. We experienced that. And He says, you know what? Now that you've experienced it, now that you've walked in my reconciliation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you. Everyone in this room, if you are a believer, He makes us and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That's pretty boss. Every person as a believer has at least one ministry. This is not a fivefold ministry that we find in Ephesians 4 where Jesus Christ Himself selects some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is all of us because we've experienced it. You know what makes me an expert about being a father? I'm a father. I'm not an expert in raising adult children. You know why? Because I haven't done it. You, I, should be an expert in reconciliation because He has done it in us. Verse 19. I'm sorry, let's go back to 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, in case you were wondering, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. Does that mean that God just closed His eyes and He turned the other way and said, eh, they're fine. No, He's taking care of it through Christ. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, they can stand, we can stand before Him and our sins can be dismissed. They can be washed away and taken care of because of His finished work on the cross. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Take a look at this. You've got a ministry and we've got a message. We've got a ministry of reconciliation and you should have a message of reconciliation. What's your message? We should have a life that is doing this because we have felt it, we've experienced it, and our words should back up what our life is, is showing people. I have been reconciled to Christ. I was once far from Him, and now I am close. I was once an enemy of God, and now I am His friend. I was once dead, and now I am alive. That is what my life is, so what my message is, is pretty easy. Because I'm just sharing, I'm witnessing. Right? When we say, you need to be a witness, what does that mean? I need to tell what's already happened in my life. You need to tell what's already happened in your life. If you have a problem telling, then you, we need to go back and make sure that it's actually happened. If it hasn't happened, then you're going to try to be an expert in something that you've never experienced. But if it has happened, you know what we do as a church? We can help equip you to do the works of service that God has called you to do. Amen. And part of that would be giving the message. Amen? Amen? Verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. An ambassador is a person from one country who's living somewhere else. But you know what they do? They're living in another land, but they don't give up their original citizenship. They're representing the other kingdom. They're representing the other nation. 
They're representing the other group of people in a place that's different than where they are from. As believers, we are not from here. Oh, we're from here. But yeah, see, I represent a different kingdom. I represent a heavenly kingdom. You represent a heavenly kingdom. So you know what your thoughts should be about? Not the kingdom that you're in, but how well you're representing the kingdom you're from. Does this make sense? How well are you doing at being an ambassador? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We represent His kingdom. So when we pray, Lord, Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven, we're saying, Lord, we will help Your kingdom to come right here. We will represent Your kingdom right here so that everyone around us, they may not have ever been there yet, but they'll see me and they'll know what it's like where You're from. Amen? As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, turn, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Heard some great testimonies from prison this morning. From our team that goes out each Sunday morning. Get here about 5 a.m. Pray together. Head to the prison. People who were walking out of certain pods last... uh, Judah, how how long ago was that? Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Inmates were walking out of the service that was going on. They were so disrespectful to the things that the Lord was doing. They literally just stood up and were tapping on the door to get out. It's not like they can choose to leave on their own, right? They're, they're, they're bound by certain restrictions. But they're making a problem in the middle of a, of a service there that we're having with them because they're so revolting, revolted by the Word of God. Last week, some of these same guys, we saw the Word of God break their hearts. We saw them start to respond to the gospel. This week, they're not only responding to the gospel, but they're being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're the ambassadors. We're the ones that say, I don't care. If you don't like what I'm saying, when when I have the message of reconciliation, if you don't like my message, it's because you don't like the one that I'm representing. I don't have to get my feelings hurt because the truth is, is you're saying what you say about, you're feeling what you feel about my God, not about me. I can keep moving forward and say, Lord, am I delivering the message the way you said? Then amen. Let's keep going. It may be at a 40%. I don't, not, I'm not quite sure, but Lord, okay, I just need to keep pressing on. In Isaiah 6, we see a different type of example of us being ambassadors here. What a beautiful passage this is. Um, let's start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I don't have time to get deeply into this. This is a pretty amazing sight to behold. You're seeing these angelic creatures that are difficult to explain. When they speak, things start to shake. Verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. <laughs> Not a phrase that we use very much in our common language, is it? Woe unto me. I am ruined. Think about something being so incredible and awesome that it causes you to quake because of how awesome something is. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, when he had taken, uh, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. When he touched my mouth, he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What is that really a picture of? It's a picture of reconciliation. 
You're seeing an Old Testament version of the New Testament word of reconciliation here. This has touched your lips. You have to be touched by something that God has in His presence for you to change. If you think that you can do it another way because you followed a formula, you've missed the fact that something of heaven has to touch you. It has to change what comes out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your words aren't lined with a message of reconciliation, it may be because nothing of heaven has yet touched your lips. Because when it touches your lips, you know what it does? Is it cleanses you. It reforms everything that you have and it atones for your sins. We want to, be, we want to have every person in this room have an, a chance to be touched by the heavenly. To be changed by what comes from God's very presence down to us. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Here I am. Right here. Here I am. Send me. You know what he didn't do? You know what Isaiah did not do in this? Um, Before I make my commitment to you, I'd like to find out exactly what you want me to go. Is this going to be a long trip or a short trip? Is this going to be difficult? What should I pack? Right? The Lord God Almighty is saying, who can I send and who's going to go for us? I'm looking for someone to send. I'm looking for someone to strengthen. The eyes of the Lord, it says, roam to and fro among the earth. To He's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. He's looking. If Larissa is going to be fully committed, then the eyes of the Lord looks and He says, Larissa's one that's fully committed. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to strengthen her. I'm going to allow her to do exactly what I've called her to do. You know why? Because she's saying, here I am. Before I even know the question, before I even know exactly what you're going to do for me, I'm saying, you can use me if you want, Lord. Right here. I don't know if I have what it takes, but um, if you're asking, I'm saying yes. I'm saying, here I am. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. What an incredible passage Genesis is. Genesis 22. You should spend some time in it. Let's start in verse 1. Genesis 22.1 says this. Sometime later. Everybody say sometime later. God tested Abraham. Um, do you forget sometime when we read the Bible, just because it takes you 15 minutes to read a couple of chapters or a book, depending, do you understand that it didn't take 15 minutes for that to get accomplished? Do you understand sometimes there's years there's months, there's years, there's a, a lot of life that goes on living in between the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22. 22 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. How are you doing in your sometime later? But I've been faithful to the Lord. Well, good, you keep going. Amen. Good job. Keep going. But, but the Lord hasn't spoken to me lately. Amen. You keep going. My guess is he probably has. And if he hasn't spoken to you something fresh, it's because you're still supposed to be doing what he told you before. Have you ever forgot a kid that you put in punish in like timeout or something? Yeah. <laughs> Parent of the year, right here. You go to your room. I'll be up there in two minutes. I just get busy and I forgot. <laughs> and they're up there for like hours. <laughs> ah, laying backwards off their bed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I forgot. Well, let that be your punishment. <laughs> Go ahead and play. <laughs> the good thing about God is he never forgets that he puts us somewhere. What did I do with Wade? Where's Wade? Oh, he's still in his room facing the corner. <laughs> See, I do that because I'm not the greatest dad in the world all the time. But he doesn't. So if he's told you to do something and he hasn't told you something different, it's because he still wants you to do it. Amen. Maybe he's waiting on you to be content yeah. while you're doing what he said so that he can bless you with the game. 
Huh. Is this practical enough for you today or not? I can't get to the specifics of everyone's story, but what I'm doing is showing you scripturally what you should be thinking. And you know what happens? You can figure out what you're supposed to be doing next. Because that's my job as a pastor. I'm supposed to equip you so that you can do the works of service that God created you to do. What would be much easier is if Pastor Matt and uh, Elder Charlie and Pastor Eric, if we just told you what to do with your life. Some of you are like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> For some people, they're like, yes, please. Oh, my gosh, that would be so much easier. <laughs> well, my pastor said it, so i got to go do it. Yeah, but see, that's not how this works. Because then the next time you're in a difficult situation, you don't know how to look at the Word. You don't know how to hear from the Father and do what He's telling you to do. And we're, we're here to encourage that. We're here to help you. We're here to go, hey, pastor, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's the scriptures I've been reading. I think the Lord's telling me this. Because situations change, right, Haley? They change back and forth. Things happen and you're not quite sure. Hey, man, we're here for you as a body, but you know what we're trying to do? We're just trying to get you to hear from Him. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. You know what this says? Actually, here I am is, a, is an English translation. But actually, what the word says there is behold. It says behold, I'm here. And, and I want to help you out with just a few things here. Um, for those of you who are our Bible scholars here, which I consider all of you, if you have your little card, if you don't have one, come find us after. We want to make sure that people get these. This is a life-changing ministry study help on the front. We gave these out on Father's Day, but we will give them out to others as well. It's got some listings of Paleo-Hebrew. It's got some categories of Scripture that will help you through your walk with the Lord. By the way, if you have one of these, today's message is going in this order, starting from here. It's going, I'm going right down the card. I'm, right, I'm going right down the back of the card and what we cover in the next few minutes. Okay? But, so the word behold is a Hebrew word. The number is 2009 in the Strong's. Some of you, this may not matter to you, but for, for many of us in here it does. The word is henna. Not Hannah, but henna. And so this is the, uh, the English equivalent of what the Hebrew words would be, or Hebrew letters. And so Hebrew reads from right to left. This consonant, this double letter, and this consonant would be what it would be in Hebrew. The vowels they have to fill in because English requires that. Okay, So here's what, here's what the letters are. In Hebrew, hey, a noon, and a hey. In this case, it's nice because uh, it doesn't matter whether you read it from right to left or left to right. right? <laughs> so the paleo, or what it was a long time ago, when it was a pictograph, was a man with his hands raised. That symbol. Thousands of years ago, people. Before microscopes were available. I can't make this stuff up. This was the picture that they had, right? So we have here, we have a revelation. It could be revelation or breath. How about taking a deep breath? Let it out. Revelation from God feels like you're inhaling. You ever been down and swimming long enough and when you come up, you're... <gasps> you're taking in something. The noon is the word for seed or sun. Incredible. And then we get back to either revelation or breath. Okay, so here's what the word behold means 
if you look at it from an original language, the original language that was given, what are we saying? <laughs> We're saying when we get a revelation of the Son, it leads to more revelation. Behold. If we get the revelation of the Son, we're supposed to breathe it in and think about it. Behold, I am here. What he's saying is, catch this revelation that I'm about to hand to you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the revelation? Because I'm about to give it to you. Behold, God has arrived. If you look at this throughout the Old Testament, there's almost 900 uses of this exact word. 900 in the Old Testament. There's about 210 for the equivalent word in the New Testament. 210. You know what you do? Here's what I did this morning. For the New Testament one, I looked through, and every time, just about, every time that I saw, it's saying, Behold, and then it's giving some revelation about Jesus Christ. Behold, this is what's going on. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I come quickly. Now, in our NIV, it takes the word behold out. So it's a little bit harder for you to find it in the NIV because it, that's not a word. Behold. I have never in a real life conversation ever walked into somebody and said, Behold, I am here. <laughs> so the NIV is trying to help you with understanding, but in this case, it's hard to find when it actually says behold. Let's look in chapter 22 of Genesis. <clears throat> Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Uh, He said to him, Abraham, behold, here I am, he replied. God had called him by name, and you know what he did? He said, Lord, I'm ready to hear your revelation now. I stand ready to receive the revelation about your son. I'm going to breathe it in. This is what he's saying here in this passage. Verse 2, then God said, take your son. Wait, wait a minute. The word's talking about getting a revelation about the son. Yes, it is. And you see the very next verse that confirms that. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice them there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Took him three days to get there, a day to sacrifice, and three days to get back. Even in the midst of this, God is always trying to show us about this principle of Sabbath, of understanding that when we go and worship before the Lord, took him a week to do this, right? Okay, moving on. Uh, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham knows exactly what's going to be required of him. And he's saying, hey, we're going to go over there and worship and we're going to come back to you. Hmm. If God has told you to do something, God is not contradictory in nature. If He's told you that something is going to happen in your life, then you know what? It's going to happen in your life. You need to continue to follow and be obedient to Him so that you can see His Word fulfilled even if it looks something different than that. We'll read uh, passages later that help illuminate that. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood from the burnt, for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. The wood was placed on the son. Almost like Jesus who bore the cross upon his own shoulders. And he, carried, he, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Yeah, it's exactly what God did in the New Testament. We see that God provided the lamb. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. By the way, there are seven times in the Bible when people were called by their name twice. Seven. Interesting. 
Abraham, Abraham. And what was his reply? Here I am. Abraham, I'm getting your attention, brother. I've got something else for you. Okay, Lord, I'm ready for more revelation. I'm ready to breathe that in too. I did what you told me to do. He's saying, stop. Look at the next verse. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know. Everybody say, now I know. That you fear God. I thought God knew everything. I thought He just knew everything. You know what the Bible says right here? He says, now I know. Because you prepared yourself for a revelation and you were going to do exactly what the Lord wanted you to do. And I saw it in your heart because your actions proved it out. Now, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to show you a different revelation because now I know. See, what we want to do is say, God knows my heart, which means that we don't have to always prove it. God knows my heart. Do you know how God knows your heart? Is He watches what you do. What does your heart say about the Lord? What what do your actions say? say about what you believe about the Lord? Do your actions show, Lord, I say that I have faith in you. Do your actions show that or not? Or do your actions show something different than what you say your heart really wants from God? And we're okay with this inconsistency. Man, I I love the Lord with all my heart. But I have trouble doing the smallest thing that someone asked for me to do. Man, I want to be a minister for the gospel. Yeah, I'm just having trouble doing the most basic of things in my own home. Somehow we are okay with having two different versions. One that we say that we are and what we really are. God says, there's no, <laughs> He knows exactly who we are. You know why? Because He watches us. God says to Abraham, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you fear the Lord. Because you weren't even willing to, to save your own son from what I asked. Now I know. I see it in you. There are some things that we're trying to get to an outcome and God's trying to have a revelation of our heart. He's trying to get us to a behold kind of moment. I've done this before. Lord, I'm ready for this. I've prayed about it. I feel like this is your will. We're we're going forward. Here we are. And then it happens where I don't have to do it. I think this job was for me. I think this direction was for me. And then God closes the door. And we go... I guess I didn't hear from the Lord. What if you doing it wasn't the point? What if, you, what if God getting a revelation to you about His Son, about His kingdom, about His presence was the point? And we get all discouraged. We're like, well, but I was really ready to do that. That's why He knows. He saw your heart and you were like, okay, Lord, we're ready to move. We're ready to go wherever. When I got the word at 16 that God wanted me to go into ministry, I was ready to drop my college scholarship to go off to Bible college somewhere. I'm ready to do it. And the Lord said, I know. Now I need you to be quiet because I just gave you a scholarship to college, so go to college. But really, Lord, I'm ready. I know. Now, here's what I want you to do. Sometimes we get so affectionate about what we're ready to do that we have a hard time hearing him when he says, okay, I don't need you to do that right now. And we get confused. Was it his will or wasn't it his will? Is God playing? He's not playing games with you. He saw the moment. It was as you did it. He's going to count it. I think he's going to count it towards you because he saw you were willing to do this in every part of your fiber. Check. Done. Now we can move on. Ah, that's good. I don't know if y'all... That's all right. Y'all cannot like that. That's fine. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now he knows. Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. If you did not hear the message on a foundation about being on fire but not being consumed, you need to get that recording. Incredible. Our lives as believers are supposed to be a picture 
of this burning bush. Somehow we're on fire, but we're not disintegrating. Somehow we're on fire, but we're not getting burned up. How, how is it that that is happening? Moses goes, wait, there's a bush and it's on fire. And Moses is how old at this point? He's 80 years old. An 80-year-old man looking at a bush being perplexed. It's because it didn't do anything that he had ever seen a bush in the last 80 years do. When you set a bush on fire, you know what happens? It burns down. This one wasn't. Our lives are supposed to be consumed with His presence, and yet we're not getting destroyed. We're supposed to be consumed by Him and even troubles in this world, but yet we stand firm, yet we're on fire. It's something that perplexes the natural mind and people go, huh, well, look at there. Look at, look at Judah and Sasha. Like, shouldn't they be worried about this in their life? And yet, golly, they're not. God is providing for them. I don't understand. It, it shouldn't work out that way. Let me take a closer look. <laughs> Let me find out if there's some more revelation here. Verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Behold, here I am. Interesting. Just like Abraham. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Say there when you are there. First Samuel chapter three. Starting in verse four. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, Behold, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. <laughs> so he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Debar Yahweh had not yet been revealed the Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. I'm actually encouraged by things like this in the Bible because I don't always get things on the first try. Sometimes I miss that it's the Lord doing something, and I just think it's a normal process. Oh, thank you for keep, Lord, thank you for your persistence for me to know that it was you doing something. So Eli told Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there before he called. The God of all creation, his presence is there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Hey, folks, God is constantly trying to get us to behold something about Him. He's going to call to us. He's going to call to us. He's going to call to us. When we turn our hearts towards Him and acknowledge that He's calling, you know what He does? He shows up in the flesh. He shows up and we can feel His presence at work in our lives. He's there with us. Not only is He calling, but He's there. Not only is He giving us a message, but He's giving us the ministry that we need. Turn to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. Say Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Verse 1. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. This is not the main point of this sermon, but can I encourage you? God's desire is that you have a firm place to stand. Amen. And Solomon also says, My foot had almost slipped. 
I had almost lost my way. Sometimes I can't quite figure out what God's revelation is. I'm not quite sure. And God says, I want to put and give you a firm place to stand. (laughs) I'm a person that's not very good. If you put wheels under my feet of any type, I'm not very good. Like I will fall and hurt myself. I need a firm place to stand. When I'm walking with the Lord, I need Him to just give me a firm place to stand. Lord, it doesn't need to be great. It doesn't even need to be a lot of space. I just need some place firm that's not going to move. And that's what He promises to give us. He put a new song in my mouth. Everybody say, new song. And a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. People will watch your life because you're a bush that's on fire but not getting consumed. And they will be drawn to the very presence of God. Verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Isn't that interesting? The Lord prescribed sacrifice and offering. And he's saying here, it's not so much just the sacrifice and offering that you desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. <laughs> my ear you have pierced. Quickly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15. Starting in verse 12. If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years as a servant, in the seventh year you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. So this is a person who has sold themselves to you as a servant or as a slave. If he's a, a brother, if he's a fellow Hebrew, what you're supposed to do is after he can serve you for six, but in the seventh year you've got to let him go. But you don't just let him go. You actually have to bless him on his way out. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. If he's blessed you with a lot, you bless him with a lot. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you. I mean, I know that I became an indentured servant to you. I became a slave to you. And it's at the end of my time and I should be let go. But you know what? I really like it here. Because he loves you and your family and is well off with you. Then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door. And he will become your servant for life. Everybody say servant for life. life. Do the same for your maidservant. You know what's interesting? I love, I've always loved this story. You know why? Because it's supposed to be what we do as believers. Lord, we're not serving you because we have to. We're saying, we really love you. We really love your family. We're well off when we're, th- we're m- so much better off when we're with you than when we're by ourselves. Why don't you mark us, Lord? Take us back to a door and mark us with something. <laughs> you know what the, the little translation of that, of that word of, is to open our ears. Lord, open our ears. Not only does it show as a mark, but it's supposed to be showing you what my heart is doing. My my ears are now open to you. Whatever you say, I choose to do it because I love you. I'm intentionally putting myself in this place for the rest of my life. I won't get three years down the road and decide, I'm going to let this fill in. I'm marked because it's for the rest of my life that I'm serving you. When we see that in Psalm, that... My ears you have pierced. What is, what is the psalmist saying there? Lord, it's not the sacrifices that you desire. You desire me. You desire my complete openness to you and to who you are. And if I'm not completely open to you, that's not what you desire. You want all of me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 5. Chapter 10. There you go. 
Hebrews 10, 5. Are you there? Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. By the way, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 40. But look what he says. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. I thought we were talking about an ear being pierced. I, I th- did he misquote it here in the New Testament versus the Old Testament? No. You know what he's doing? He's saying that it was an ear. It's the idea that it is our entire body. He wants all of us. Whether it's my ear you have pierced or a body you have prepared. Keep reading. What does it say? With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. That is always what God wants from us. That is always what He wants for us to do His will and us to desire to do His will. Because if you desire to do His will, you know what He's going to do? He's going to make His will known to you. This is not a game where you really desire doing His will and somehow He doesn't give you His will. If your desire is this, if you're saying, my ears you have pierced, my body you have prepared, Lord, here I am. Behold, I stand here. I'm ready to get a revelation about you, about your kingdom, about your son, and I'm going to breathe it in like it's my next breath because it's going to connect me to the next revelation about your son that connects me to the next revelation about your son. Lord, I am ready to do this. You know what he's going to do? He is going to share his will with you. He will rain His will upon you. He will, be, he will get your life so enthralled in His will that you can't help but accomplish His will. Have you ever said to something to somebody you didn't realize it was the Lord until after you said it? Hey, and you're, I've just been reading this scripture and they just start bursting in tears. And you're like, whoa. Clearly that was my plan. No. I have to be honest with you. There are sometimes I accomplish God's will and I wasn't really even trying to do it. I was just trying to be fully devoted to Him and He just does things like that. He just uses me and I, wasn't even, I didn't even feel spiritual. I went one time, I was an assistant, at this point I was an assistant principal at a Baptist high school. We took a group of kids to San Francisco. And we went, they got back to the hotel. We were in two different hotels. I had a, a teacher that was over them, and I was there. For, we were all there for a conference. And I went back, and they were like, Mr. Sutherland, we're going to do a Bible study. you have anything you want to say? And what I wanted to say, true to God, I wanted to say, I'm tired. Y'all don't stay up late and get in, get in any trouble because I'm going to go to my hotel. But what I said was, I, I went, well, let me throw a little something at him, right? And so I took a breath. And it was like, hey, the Lord wants me to tell you. And so I prophesied to this little uh, 10th grade girl. Prophesied to her. I'm a Baptist school assistant principal. Prophesying. Right? Prophesied to the girl. Oh, amen, Lord. Thank you for using donkeys like me. You know, amen. I wasn't ready for it. And then I turned and I saw a young man and I prophesied to him. And then I turned and I prophesied to one of the teachers that was in the room. And after about four or five of these, you're like, all right, Lord, don't leave anybody out. <laughs> I, thought that I, just, I thought that I needed some rest. I thought that I needed some sleep, and I was just tired, and that would be the best thing for me. And what the Lord said is, you're only at 40%. Shut up. <laughs> and the Lord allowed us to prophesy to every human being in the room. Change some of those kids for the rest of their lives. What I'm saying is, there's no way that I, take in, I can take any credit because I wanted to go home. I wanted to go sleep. I was tired. There was nothing spiritual about me in that moment. And God can use us anyway. He, he will accomplish His purposes in us. He will accomplish His purposes for me. Amen? Psalm 138.8 is that, is that reference there. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to wrap this up. Revelation chapter 3. The Lord is so good that uh, I believe Alex shared the scripture. I think he's back teaching kids today. Yeah? Which is just good, right? Man of God gives a prophecy, word from scripture, and then rolls out and takes care of the little ones. I love it. 
Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. This is exactly the passage that Alex read today. Not knowing at all that this would be where I'd try to end up. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Behold, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That word see in that case is behold. Behold, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Folks, it's not about us having great strength to accomplish his incredible will. It's about us saying, Lord, we've got to have your revelation. We've got to go from godliness. We've got to find contentment in you. And then we're able to see the gain that you can do in our lives. Any other direction, any other order gets this all out of place. (laughs) It's almost like he's saying, Lord, the ministry that you gave us of reconciliation, if we can be content with what you're doing in us, it's going to produce great gain in us. It's going to produce great gain for the kingdom. Would you guys stand with me?